Our scripture reading this morning comes from the book of Romans, chapter 3, verses 21 through 31. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By a law of works? No, but by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also. Since God is one who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith, do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to Christ. Thank you, Molly. Well, I don't know about y'all, but uh, I tend to watch sometimes some dumb stuff on TV. And um, my wife can attest to that. But I remember one particular moment that was um, <clears throat> some time ago watching Discovery Channel, and I like to watch certain things on there. Oh, you know, people catching things. River monsters, you ever seen that? I've watched that kind of stuff. Weird stuff. Um, <clears throat> they had a guy named Nick Walinda on there. Now, Nick was, um, had a kind of family heritage of tightrope walkers, and he wanted to carry that on. In fact, his grandfather actually perished uh, died doing a, an amazing feat, trying to walk between two buildings in South America. Well, Nick uh, said, okay, enough's enough. I've done buildings. I've done everything. I actually want to try and walk across the Grand Canyon. Now, there you go. Swing for the fences, right? So this guy uh, trains for this, and it's hard to train because in the Grand Canyon, there's wind gusts, uh, the, the way that the cable goes because of the length and physics, it can't be straight across. It bows incredibly you know, low in the middle. So he has to start training for this like in his backyard. He starts getting guys with fans like giant you know, generator fans trying to blow him off the, you know, his rope in his backyard. And he's trying to work this, uh, his magic there. Well, the day comes, he starts going and it, it's 1,500 feet high. He's going four football fields across this thing. And it was interesting because they had a 10-second delay on it, you know, in case he fell. And, uh, but what was even more interesting, they had like a paramedic on scene. Like, if you fall in the Grand Canyon, is a paramedic really going to help you? Um, kind of an interesting question. But he's going across. What was most fascinating was as he was in the throws, you could tell he was afraid. Uh, probably not afraid much in his life to do this. He'd done it countless times. He's out there. He's freaking out. At one point, he has to literally kind of kneel down on this cable and stop for several seconds. He starts over and over beginning to utter somewhat prayers. 
Thank you, Jesus. I'm here. Thank you. Watch over me. Be with me. And he starts praying. Well, all of a sudden, they have this Twitter feed, and it starts lighting up. And um, as he's crossing, and he made it to the other side. I'm not going to be like Russ last week and keep the bottle here and uncork it. Uh, I did make fun of him, by the way. I did love that, by the way. But listen to what Twitter said about Nick walking across. Interesting feeds, just a handful of them. The first one, one of the first, is this is proof that God is capable of awesome things. You can't tell me that God wasn't watching over him. Another one, uh, apparently a student, barely even opened my French book for this exam. Praise you, Jesus. You're my savior, Jesus. Take control over these exams. If you're a student, you might not want to do that. Um, one follower said, and this is what was my favorite one, this, this could be a PR nightmare for Jesus if this thing goes wrong. Okay, so here's, here's what's interesting, though. He makes it across, celebration, you know, Twitter saying all these things. What if he fell? What if he fell? Would, would it have been a PR nightmare? Would, would his faith have been rendered useless if he fell? It's a real question because I know that's like a Discovery Channel dumb thing, right? We may not, but all of us in this room live in that space and time. All of us are constantly weighing, what is faith and its role in the way that I see things play out in my life, whether good, bad, praise, celebration, what is it? This is, faith, that word is one of the most overused and culturally misapplied words, I think, everywhere. I mean, we see it in sports, we see it in events, we see it all over the place, but what does it really mean? What does it mean? Is it, is it enough faith to will yourself across the tightrope? Is, is it enough faith to just speak it and, and hope that things work out for you? What does faith really mean? Because it's a huge thing. We're, we're looking now, and you can even look at the front of your bulletin, it says this. We're looking at, as we mentioned earlier, these major blocks of the Reformation. The Reformation is a historical event that happened 500 years ago this year, where Martin Luther... The father of the Reformation nailed these theses to this Wittenberg door in Germany. And what that essentially did was it catapulted Protestants now, what we would consider ourselves, theology, Protestant blocks of saying, hey, we're going to stand on these major blocks of grace alone and scripture alone that you heard last week. And today we're talking about faith alone. But what in the world does that mean? I mean, we can maybe talk about grace like grace we may understand, but what is faith? It was one of the biggest tenets. In fact, Martin Luther himself says it is on sola fide, faith alone in Latin, that the church stands or falls. That the just shall live by faith is on this. But do we even know what it means? So this morning, I think in this passage, and it's from this passage that Luther himself was instructed this, that we're gonna find the answer to these questions, that faith in its relationship to reason, faith in its relationship to our doubts, and faith in its relationship to our works, our life, how do we live it out? And I think those are really big categories. We're gonna try and skip across those and, and hopefully they'll actually even spur more questions and discussion for you to look into the scripture and ask these things. But as we look at this, I want us to begin by looking at faith and reason because faith in its connection to reason is, is a big deal. 
especially in our culture, there is this big divide, especially since the Enlightenment years and years and years ago, centuries ago, where it was said that faith, what you believe in, needs to be somewhat disconnected or if any connection at all, divorced from reason, what you find in rational life, material world, that they need to be separated. But here's what's interesting. Many commentators today currently are saying, well, religion is on the rise and so is reason, but they seem to be connected to one another. David Brooks wrote one of these and so did many other um, uh, pundits have written, written about this. Like a lot of people these days, I'm a recovering secularist. Until September 11th, I accepted the notion that as the world becomes richer and b- better educated, it becomes less religious, extrapolating from a tiny and unrepresentative sample of humanity. This theory holds that as history moves forward, science displaces dogma and reason replaces unthinking obedience. But it is now clear that the secularization theory is untrue. The human race does not necessarily get less religious as it grows richer and better educated. We are living through one of the greatest periods of scientific progress and creation of wealth, and at the same time in the midst of a religious boom. It is happening. You can ask anybody this. Now, Christianity, now where it falls in that, we will talk about that. But religiousness across the globe is actually growing in spite of what we may see in our own nation. And it is intimately tied to still what is going on in progress. There's not a division there. And here's what's interesting. At the beginning of this, Paul does this when he writes verse 21. But now the righteousness of God has been manifest apart from the law. Comma, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. It's not that he just starts talking about the righteousness apart from the law. Immediately when he would begin doing that, people who knew the law would say, whoa, 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 whoa. You're saying you can be righteous apart from this thing? It's untethered? How can you do that? How can you say someone can be righteous, can stand before God and say, I'm I'm right before you? Apart from the law. He says, Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ. In other words, saying it is through history, space, reality, and time that this witness of God's righteousness comes through. It's not this over here is faith. Just believe this righteousness when you stand before God. And then there's law over here. He's saying that in order to know that righteousness, it comes through Jesus in space, history, and time. And even before he came, that the law and the prophets, the whole Old Testament is unpacking over and over and over this reality in space and time and history. That our faith is rooted in these things. It's not just a leap of faith. It's actually a looking into It's seeing the reality. In fact, Hebrews 11, which is a a book that comes later in the New Testament, there's a chapter called Hebrews 11, and many call it the hall of faith. It actually begins this way. It says, by faith we understand. In fact, the word understand, the Greek word means the word for rationality in the mind. It's saying that faith and rationality work together. Now, they have their separation, but they have their link, and we cannot pull them apart. Many want to approach the Bible and other things, and you may hear this in your classrooms if you're here, or you've heard it before in your workplace or in your friendships, where we want to approach 
the Bible with what is called the tabula rasa. In other words, a blank slate. That, you know what, I'm a, I'm, I work out of a scientific background. I have to approach things with a blank slate. What I want to say to you, though, is that the Bible is saying no one does that. It's okay for us to admit no one can actually come to something with a blank slate. We actually come to everything out of belief. We actually approach it all with belief and faith. In fact, there was a man named Michael Polanyi years ago who said that there's a thing called tacit knowledge. And all of you will connect to this because this is what you do in your jobs. Tacit knowledge is something that can be done but not transferred. In other words, it's like if you go, and many of you here are artists. In fact, um, uh, Molly, who stood up here, is uh, moved here and is working for the, the ballet company of Nashville. And she's a ballerina. And part of her incredible, I'm sorry to pick on you here for a second, Molly, but she, part of her incre- incredible talent, just like many of you, is something that may be known but hard to transfer to someone else. In fact, if you type in tacit knowledge into a Google search, you'll pull up all of business websites because people are looking for people that have this ingrained knowledge of leadership, aesthetics, and sales. All of this because there's some sort of knowledge ingrained that we believe that we can actually make a mark, that we have categories when we approach this world. And yes, when we approach it and we encounter certain things, they shape it, right? We encounter, we encounter difficulty, they shape it. If you approach building a building downtown, there are certain things that you believe knowing in, going into that that you have to do to build that building. But you, you may run into some stop gaps. You may run into some problems, some things that shape it that are there in the moment. But we all approach that with belief. We have this internal category that's there. Look, I'll give you another example of this. When I was little, I remember, I don't even know why, so when I tell you this illustration, I seriously don't know why. I used to pray for gold. I used to ask God when I was a little kid, a little kid, before I ever knew really who Jesus was, I would say, God, if you're there, you'll give me gold on my nightstand. Now, I I don't own any gold thing, if you notice, except for my ring, but I, I I don't know why gold, but what was I doing in that moment? As a child, I knew there was a category and I was constantly praying, God, if you're real, if you're somebody who actually connects to reality, you'll give me gold, something that's real. What was I doing? I was positing coming out of belief. I was trying to force my belief into something that was connected there. And I would wake up and disappointed and those kind of things. But there's an inherent category in us to want something, to, to believe And yet God was showing me that, you know what? It's not about what he gives me in that moment that says my faith means something. See, we often divide faith and sight. We think of reason and sight. And faith is over here of something you don't see, but they're intimately connected. And that's what Paul is trying to tell us. He says, it has been manifested. In other words, it's been brought out. Look, often we think that in those moments we're praying for gold, right? Or we're praying for some, something really hard going on in our lives to be taken away. And we're like, God, if you're really God, you'll handle this. But what are we actually doing? We're actually putting, we're actually saying that we can only quantify our faith if we can make it, if it, something happens. If we can touch it, taste it, feel it, experience it. But that's not how faith always works. But it has been manifested. We think God is hiding. 
when we talk about faith and reason. But the Bible here is saying, no, 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 it's not God that has been hiding, it is us who have been hiding. It says, now that God, uh, the, now the righteousness of God has been made manifest, it has been brought out. That means that he is not hiding his truth of the good news of Jesus from any of us. That in space and time, that God has sent his son to deal with our space and time and reality. And look, how many times do we rationalize things of that piece of gold that we want in our lives or something to be changed, but how many times do we not live in consistency of our own belief? We believe in countless things that we don't see or know of in reality. We have an iPhone that tells us every day of the weather in all parts of the world, tells us news everywhere we go, and yet we are never there. All we do is see it on a screen. How do we know that's reality? There's constant news being falsified over and over and over. There was a 2020 special on it just a few months ago about how people love to throw in those stories. Are we consistent to know that our faith, we can't reason ourselves to faith, but our faith is connected to what we see around us. This is why God sent what? Jesus, the law and the prophets bear witness to it, to what? An actual person sent. So our faith is not something that's just floating in the air. It's not a leap, it's a looking into. If you're here this morning, and maybe you're not a Christian, and maybe you would say, I don't think, I don't know how, where I am with this. I would encourage you to think about it like that. That it's not a leap into faith. It's not a leap of taking on all sorts of crazy ideas. It's taking on what God has actually manifest. He's already made known to us in Jesus, his son. You can take it up. It's a looking into what he's given us in the law and the prophets. He's unfolded his righteousness. That is faith. Take it up. Look at it. It is for you to know. It's not just to be thrown out. Take it up. Make sense of it. This is why so many people, including people like C.S. Lewis, J.R. Tolkien, all of these people that across the board that we would consider high intellectuals, they came to, to faith not because they just were like, I'm going to throw out my rationality. It's because they looked into this and said, does this make sense? Does this connect? Is faith something that connects to my reality? And that is what God used in that. It's a belief in a person and who he is. It's not reason alone, though. It's faith alone. So how does faith alone connect to our doubts? How does faith alone connect to our doubts? Because I was watching TV with a little football this weekend, and in between, they're showing commercials for other sports. And the World, FIFA World Cup, you know, is, is, is coming on, and, and it's, it was America versus Panama, I think. And they're kind of, you know, it's like one of those preview things where they're flashing things on the screen, Right? And like, coming, this, you know, date, and Panama, U.S., and boom. And then comes a question that says, do you believe, question mark. Now, what in the world does that mean? Like, you're sitting there going, uh, no, yes. Like, am I, what do I, how do I answer that? Like, how do you answer that question? Oftentimes that question is brought up, and when it is in our cultural context, it's like, do I doubt that we'll beat Panama? I don't know. You know, like, what does that mean for us? Because that is how we typically take faith, that language, into our questions, into our actual lives. 
Because we wonder, if I believe enough, if I have enough faith, right? And that one is often interviewed after a game and, and someone wins. The microphone shoved in their face and they say, we just kept believing. Is, is belief, is faith a willing? Is it a success story? Because in our cultural context, that's what we typically think. Think about, go back to Nick Walenda walking across the tightrope. Now, I don't know, I haven't talked to Nick, but, you know, is that what he was thinking in his brain? If I just will it enough, are we all on this tightrope of life? And if we just keep believing, we'll make it through. That is typically what we approach faith with. And so when we do that, we need to make sure that we're not doing one of two things. We're not making faith a quantity or a quality. The Bible does not do either one of those, and I'll explain why. Faith, first, is not a quantity. It is not a whole. If you keep pumping quarters into the machine of God, trying to work him into your life, that's typically what many of us do. If it, with faith, we approach a passage like this. We come to church and we think, if I just do this enough, my faith will mean something. It will have weight to it. If I do enough spiritual things, this is why he's talking about faith apart from the works, right? If I do, though, enough of my faith is enough of coming to the table, enough of serving, enough of doing things that if I just put enough in there, then I'll really have a relationship with him. And that's what many of us think. We will our relationship with God. We do that. We think that we can do that somehow as, as we would in a sports team or as we would do with anything. Look, in, in, in any of our relationships that we may hold, we may think, man, if I, just, if I just put enough faith into it, I can will myself into this job. I can will this relationship back together. But faith is not a quantity. Paul never talks about it in that way here. He never says there's, a, there's a, a, an amount of it here for you to do. It's neither that or a quality. Here's another way we typically think about it, that we need to purify ourselves enough in faith. If I answer all the, enough of the questions in my life with faith, it, it, all the doubts that I have, all the things that I don't think God can do anything for me, then my faith will be pure. You know, maybe if, if, if my faith is pure enough, then I'll, ha I'll have that right relationship that I've always wanted. If my faith is pure enough, if, if I really am, am, am with him enough, then I'll have what I want. Look, I, I was a youth director years and years and years ago, and I had a student, and I've heard this even recently, who had leukemia. And following her death, I did not know who it was, thankfully, but I heard that people would talk about it in ways that she was a Christian and would say, if she had had enough faith, it, she might have lived. Now, many of, us, many of us may wince at something like that, but we oftentimes think about that in our relationship with God. We think that if we are good enough in our faith and our quality of it, then these things, these bad things that we see in our life will be taken care of. That is not at all what Paul is saying here about our faith. What he's saying is there's a focus it's not a quality or a quantity, it's a focus. There's an object. Notice, all through here, verse 22, the righteousness, righteousness of God through, through faith in Jesus Christ, right? Verse 26, the just and justifier of the one who has faith in 
Jesus. Notice there's an object here. You see, faith is like a windshield. If you're driving along and some bug hits your windshield and you start staring at the bug, what's going to happen? You're wrecking. You're, you're, you're going off. A windshield is made to see through it. Faith is like that. It is made to see through it. Faith never directs itself to itself. And oftentimes we have faith in our faith, our believing, our willing. But faith is always driving beyond itself. It's always like a windshield, looking beyond itself to the object in front. And that is to Jesus. The prepositions here that Paul is saying over and over and over, faith in, faith by, faith through, it is all pointing to a person, a focus in Jesus. The focus is on him. And so this begs the question of where is your faith? Where is your faith? What is the object of your faith? Is it Jesus himself or is it the way you feel? Oftentimes we counter our faith with our feelings. Do I feel like I'm close to God or not? Do I have enough answers to my questions? Look, we either put our faith in a feeling, our faith in our reason. Our faith, faith does have an object, but its object is in Jesus. I remember um, flying from here to, uh, I think it was to the beach at some point, and I was on the plane from Nashville, that short little hop, you know, it's about 50 minutes, maybe it's a little longer, an hour, down to Panama City, and two boys came on the plane. And one boy was with his dad, and you could tell he was flying for the first time. He, he sat down in the row, and you could just tell he was like looking, pushing, his dad was like, don't push all the buttons, hold on, hold on, you know, you know. And he was like, I can order anything I want, you know, like, more Coke, you know, like this little kid's just hopped up on sugar. He's excited. His dad is just loving it. He's looking out the window. He's rolling. The another boy came on, sat right in front of me, maybe a row or two. First time to fly, but he was by himself. And he came and he sat. And I could see just, you know, as I leaned over every so often, I could see his hand gripping an armrest and could see the flight attendant coming down every so often just to check because he was by himself. How you doing? You doing okay? Si silent answer. You know, I could never hear a, yeah, yeah. I was always probably, mm, mm, mm. Which boy got to the beach? Both of them, right? Was it the boy's faith with his dad getting all the drinks, peanuts, more pretzels, bring it on. Sometimes that's how it feels to us, right? Sometimes it feels like we're gripping the armrest. But it was the object, it was the plane that got them there. Now that is faith. Like our faith waxes and wanes, and it will because we are people of doubt. But what is the constant? It is Jesus. Over and over in this passage, he is wanting us to see the thing that remains that carries your faith is the object, not what you feel about it, not your circumstances. And praise be to God for that. Because if the object of our faith was in those things, and that's what we often do, then we have to ask, do we have faith at all? It is a focus. It is looking to that one that God has set. There's a word here called propitiation. It's a big word. 
Verse 25, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood. This word is a powerful word. It's actually a very debated word. And it is because it's saying that Jesus was set forth as a public display of sacrifice, as a substitute for your sin. Here's what it actually in reference means. It references back to a word in the Old Testament called the mercy seat. When they carried the, the Ark of the Covenant, you may have seen you know, Raiders of the Lost Ark, not exactly theologically sound, but you get the picture. that There was a seat on the top of that with two cherubim whose wings were covering their faces, pointing at each other. The lid was called the mercy seat. And every year, the Day of Atonement, the priest would go in and sprinkle blood on that seat. That was the place where God said, I will meet my people and atonement will happen there. Do you see what it's saying? On Jesus, Jesus is being called our mercy seat. That in the person, flesh of Christ is our substitute. He is our atonement. He is that one. If we do not have that object of faith, our object of faith will be, can I believe enough to to get me there? It will be a willing. But what God says is, no, faith is a focus on that one, the propitiation, the only one that can be called the substitute, the one who is our mercy seat where God meets us and continues to show us our faith. He sits there on that mercy seat because how do you grow in your faith? By looking back to him. You come to faith by looking to him that he is on the mercy seat and it never moves, but you grow in him because you keep looking back to him. This is why he ends this passage this way. This is how we come to this table. We come to this table through this last portion where he says faith and works. Because oftentimes we may end there, right? We say I'm free, we are. But you know what? Faith always has an object, but it all, that object, if your faith is in an object that may drive you to obedience in a way that you're thinking, who am I living for? See, we are free from works. This is what Paul is saying here. He says, what becomes of our boasting? It's excluded. We cannot come to this table in any of our own works. There's nothing that we can do to receive this. It is excluded. It's by faith. It's by trusting the one who's on the mercy seat. It's only by him. But you know what he says? We leave this table and live out works. That faith, we aren't saved by our works But faith drives us to works. It drives us to live in obedience to the one who does sit on that mercy seat. You know how you can tell if you have faith in him? Ask what you're obedient to. Ask what you shape your whole life around. Look at the places in your life that do that. That is how we know. That is how we can come to this table. So we come to this table because it shows us we can only take it by faith. I didn't set this table up. Jesus did. You know, we taste, the reason it's his body and his blood is because it is by faith that we trust that he gave it for us. His blood is for our sin. His body is for our lives. And yet it is him. 
We can't come to this table and walk away and go, faith, whatever. You can only come by it in the object of Jesus. Look, you could even come to this table and make this table a work in and of itself. You can't come and take this table and take the wine and the bread and think that that makes you a Christian. It doesn't make me one either. I can stand up here and say all this stuff. That doesn't make me a follower of Jesus. It's only if my focus, my faith is set on the one whose body and blood this is then you and I can live. And what is that song we just sang? I love it. Thank you. Love constraining obedience. Love constraining obedience. Praise be to God. Come to this table in in that faith and joy. Not through any other means, but by him. Let's stand together now. And let's read our confession together.